Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Today's guest is Catherine Parsons. Catherine founded the technology educational company Decoded in 2011, just as the London technology scene was taking off. It has trained around half a million people in 85 cities across the world, including a corporate giant such as Marks & Spencer, Unilever, Vodafone and Nike. Catherine, perhaps you could start by telling us how studying ancient Greek led to you founding a technology company and what Decoded does today. Yeah, classics uh, doesn't naturally segue into code, does it really? I studied Latin and ancient Greek. I was into French and uh, I loved Italian and I studied Mandarin and Japanese from the age of 14. And, you know, for me, languages are just magical. I've always seen them as these, it, this incredible key into another world where you can suddenly converse with people in different places, but you can also really understand the mindset and the culture. It goes much deeper than just understanding the languages. And I suppose fast forward to 2011, I, you know, there was a new language, global language in the world. And that was the language of technology and ones and zeros and coding. And it was not just impacting you know, our lives, it was impacting every single industry and sector and economy, the app economy. Everyone had a smartphone and someone asked me if I knew how to code. And I, I then really wanted to learn. I asked a person that I knew who was the CEO of a technology company if they knew how to code. And I assume they did because they actually created apps and uh, they said they didn't and they outsourced it all. I asked a lot of people that I thought would understand it and they didn't. And so then finally I, you know, I asked a friend who was a coder and, and they said, you couldn't possibly learn this, Catherine. And you studied physics. <laughs> you did not study maths or computer science. I'm not teaching you. And then finally, you know, an exhausted kind of attempt to learn about it. I Google searched for schools. There was nothing online at that point. You couldn't kind of learn coding online. And there were a few university courses in computer science. And actually, when I looked at the curriculums on them, coding was a part of it. And, and also, I didn't have the time and I didn't have the money to mm. go to, back to school. Uh, and so that really led to going... Well, I want, why is this so, why is this a dark art? Why am I not allowed and not permitted into this world? You know, I studied languages. I can, I studied Latin. Yeah. I can do anything. That was the kind of decoded mission statement, which was like to really decode and take away the jargon and take away the cliche, take away the fear from technology and put it in anyone's hands, like mine. And then I wanted to learn really quickly. And so I wondered whether you could teach someone code in a day, which is quite an out mm. outrageous statement. And But the idea was, could you condense, you know, me being left at my laptop by myself just for a year, and could you condense enough knowledge into if you worked hard enough into a, into a day where someone could come in one side, digitally illiterate uh, and fearful and never having written a line of code, and they pop out the other side of that day feeling confident and like an active participant in the digital world and, and they'd actually created something and you know really ignited and then we came together as like a founding team and we built that product 
and the rest is history. It exploded. And uh, yeah, my life had changed at that moment. It sounds such an amazing story for how you came across that because it was such a kind of tapestry of all the things that you've been interested in previously. What does Decoded do now and what does the next few years hold for Decoded? We're definitely kind of addressing that issue of that digital literacy fundamental challenge. You know, that we're living in this world that is is a digital world now. And actually, no one has learned this stuff at school. And Decoded's promise really resonated with the world of business. You know, we, we started teaching 10 people around a kitchen table in East London. Uh, you know, we bought the laptops on like a credit card and took them back the next day and convinced this architect to lend us his house to pretend it was our beautiful office. And it was really interesting to see who walked through our doors in that first year. Our marketing budget was £27. I remember that. Like we went back, it was the best number on the spreadsheet. This was a word of mouth growing business. We really promised to deliver on that code and day promise and, and it did deliver. And we had the boards of and leaders from business all across the world coming in to learn with us. And so our challenge was, well, what other dark arts can we decode and demystify? And, you know, how, how can we teach, how can we decode the digital world for anyone and everyone in the world of business? And so we, we went into cybersecurity. We went into data and advanced analytics and machine learning. Um, we, you know, we even went into like spaces like storytelling and quantum computing. And fast forward, you know, to maybe like three or four years ago, I think we taught in 85 cities across the world. And, you know, we, we reached probably, you know, well upwards of quarter of a million, probably about half a million, you know, professionals from graduate level right up to the board at these businesses. I was just chatting to the team, you know, our mission statement has never felt more relevant. No digital enlightenment. Suddenly, it's not just a nice to have to be digitally literate. You know, these technologies are really fundamentally impacting our world. And you will only survive as a business if you are able to operate in a digital environment. And just think about how they're impacting us politically from, you know, important decisions being made on Excel spreadsheets right through to people not understanding the fundamentals of technology behind social media um, and impossible to make craft, elegant, eloquent policies around data, for example. Digital literacy, I think, should be legally mandatory for boards and leaders. I think if they don't understand the fundamentals of cybersecurity and data, they should not be leading their organization. So. We're in a really interesting moment with that work where we're really going, how can we take it to the next level? How can we reach 10 million people with the same high quality of work that we were delivering face-to-face in a digital world? We've also decided to take on the data skills challenge. Uh, so two years ago, we launched our first ever data academy. So that's like building a university within a business um, and building advanced, really advanced data analytics skills. We all did maths up until sort of 16 at school. So we're all given that sort of basic data skill set, but people might not necessarily think of the math skills that they developed as being a data skill set. How can people become aware of the skills? How do you test for that? 
So we, you know, I was, I was chatting to you earlier that, you know, IBM claimed they had an amazing bit of AI that could go and find, you know, these people within their organization. We don't, we have a survey, but we should probably turn it into an amazing bit of AI. Um, but there are companies doing really interesting things out there, like one called Fathom and Burning Glass that are helping map skills across not just organizations, but entire nations and governments. So yeah, absolutely. You know, you could survey people against, for example, how many online courses they've done. That's a sign of a willingness to self-learn, which I think is really important. You can do basic mathematics tests if you wanted to test someone's mathematical ability, basic kind of literacy tests. But I think that idea of a self-motivated learner um, who is also well supported by their organization. They're two things that we assess for. Yeah. I would say 90% of my job is convincing businesses to just invest in the learning of their people. And so are there particular courses that you would recommend out there? Because I think there are, there are people, you know, I mean, when we go back to thinking about school and doing maths, I did a GCSE in it. And sort of my defining memory of maths is being told, you know, you won't be able to take a calculator with you everywhere you go. It's like, well, we, we showed them on that front, I suppose. And how do you get the mindset to go back and sort of retrain and try and pick up that? Because chances are you actually probably remember more of it than you think. You're just yeah. out of the habit. So I guess that's what the basic mathematical courses that you talk about. Are there any that you would particularly recommend that people look at? Yeah, no, it's interesting when we're hiring, actually, we look for not necessarily computer science degrees. We are looking for mathematics, physics, engineering. But I just want to caveat that. It, the only reason that that is the case is because there's this huge, gaping, glaring gap in the education system for high quality technology education, high quality code education in the classroom. We're like truffle hunting. You know, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy that we're looking for these other kind of markers of what could give people great aptitude to be brilliant technologists, you know, coders and data scientists and cybersecurity experts, why don't we just build them within, within the system? You know, there are more people studying classics at Cambridge still now than there are studying computer science mm. by a vast proportion. So, you know, we are looking for like core confidence and capability in, let's say, maths, for example. And, and I agree with you, it, uh, confidence is a big key for people to rediscover their, their confidence and their, their belief that this is for them. Actually, a big part of what I talk to people about if I do any kind of public speaking is giving yourself the permission to learn. The biggest barrier that I've seen for people in actually being able to acquire these new skills, one is just starting. Yeah. I would say 90% of my job is convincing businesses to just invest in the learning of their people. I mean, I was involved in kind of setting up the data ethics and innovation center when in government. And it's interesting there how sort of skills and skill sets can collide from different worlds, right? Because you're, you want the sort of engineering data analytics of the innovation side there, but also is the sort of talk about this in languages as well is the kind of philosophy behind some of these things and making sure that we get things around AI so that they're not biased and so on are incredibly important. And the thing is, why are they, why are these companies even working with us? You know, the problem is that these skills are not coming out of university in the shape or quantity that businesses need them and want them. In the data skills space alone, you know, the skills gap pre-COVID 
was half a million people for advanced analytics skills. Forget like all the other ones, you know. Yeah. And but those are interesting to me because they're incredibly well paid and they're globally sought after. And I have this hunch that the UK could be world leading at building that skill set. But I really believe in that investment in well-being and coaching and the dramatic impact it can bring to your professional life. And what do you find the benefits of being a coach? I mean, I've written in the Times on this about how coaching is becoming much more mainstream in the UK for kind of top business leaders and so forth and you know, just top professionals as well. How has it impacted you of being a benefit? Because it is something which is much more mainstream in America than it is here in the UK. Yeah, I think... The most recent, sometimes it's really informal. You don't have to necessarily hire a coach. I did actually, and it was totally transformative in terms of supercharging my ambition for the business and myself, but also protecting my personal life a little bit from mm-hmm. my business life, which totally matched together. <laughs> um, and there was no delineation, but even light coaching, like just having a coffee with a serial CEO who has seen it all before and done it all before and just hearing their perspective and letting them be honest about your business or you as an individual, what your strengths and weaknesses are. You know, recently someone said to me, I think I believe in your products more than you do, which really shocked me because I think I'm so passionate about my products. But understanding what he was trying to tell me with that statement was really, really important. It really was about really thinking about the value of digital literacy and skills in the world today and what that means. I think I told you, Jimmy, like uh, a few years ago, what stimulated this whole U-turn was a CEO kind of friend, but I don't know, kind of a very well-known CEO said to me, the problem with you, Catherine, is you are uncoachable. (laughs) And I was like, what? I was really taken aback by it because I run a learning business and I'm all about lifelong learning and I love learning. But it turned out there were other things that you could learn, not just coding and data science and all those things that I was really passionate about, but actually those softer skills. So it was a very clever red rag to a bull moment because I was like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to invest in my own learning. And now we do it for the team, which is really important. And our senior leadership team are currently bringing in a really incredible coach who's going to work with them. Yeah, that sounds good. I I will always be somebody who espouses the benefits of having a coach. I think it can make such a difference. And so as a final question, is there a particular sort of business book in the last way? It doesn't have to be a business book, but is there a book in the last year that you found particularly enjoyable and taken inspiration from? Gosh, this is going to seem so weird, but it's just one that I sent someone a link to. It's about civilization. Going back to my classics, really. It's called Against the Grain. It's an old book. And it's essentially about how civilizations evolved. And something that I took out of it in particular, it's basic premise is that city living was not actually great to begin with. You know, and actually when we were more barbarian and living, you know, more, you know, forager lifestyle, Actually, it was, it was better. There were other benefits to being in a city that meant that cities evolved. But it does talk about the kind of Mesopotamian flat lands and wetlands and how we behaved as human beings when we were living that way and the forager mindset. Bear with me here. Yeah. And, you know, actually, it was just, re- I've been really obsessed by thinking about the Mesopotamian mind and how we were able to hold and retain so many different bits of knowledge that were needed when we functioned as an agricultural society like that. And there's a big theory that 
technology is dumbing us down and that actually access to information at our fingertips, in a question can be answered by Google, our brains are becoming lazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that our minds are miraculous. And back to kind of code in a day, you know, can you condense knowledge into a single day? The whole book got me thinking about how do we get our neurons firing again? How do we get our minds capable of storing incredible, immense amounts of information? You know, Neuralink have done lots of publicity mm-hmm. recently about, you know, being able to implant chips into our brains, you know, so that we can plug ourselves into the matrix. Our brains are better than AI. Human intelligence should be powered by artificial intelligence. And, you know, we're obsessed with AI, but I'm obsessed with human intelligence and actually how we can get that firing on all cylinders. It feels like we are very much going through that now, but that's why it's been so great to kind of have you on and and talk about how people can kind of prepare for the future because it's not a simple process. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've come a long way since our first episode when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship, and the future of work, or some of our more lighthearted takes on TikTok. And of course, our best moments are on YouTube. To find all our socials and best content links, Click on the links in the show notes below.